When sharing becomes oversharing, this is Conducting Business. I'm Naomi Lewin. It's no secret that Facebook and Twitter can help classical musicians promote their work. But when artists cross certain boundaries or get overly political, they can quickly find their careers at risk. We will get three views on the promise and peril of social media. First up is American-based Valerian Ruminski. Last month, he got a first-hand taste of the pitfalls of oversharing when some unguarded Facebook comments went very public. He joins us on the line. So just to give the backstory, you were in Canada to do a gig with Opera Lyra, and you posted some highly unfiltered comments about a man you saw on a bus who had very gaudy fingernails. He turned out to be a drag queen. Your remarks were construed as homophobic, and Opera Lyra then dropped you from the production of Tosca. So first of all, what prompted you to write your post? Well, it really is a matter of that you are lulled into some complacency about after years and years of doing spur-of-the-moment posts, you can be lulled into this moment where you don't really censor yourself. You just it's, it's like you're in your living room and you're talking to your friends, people you friended on Facebook, and uh, like, well, what are we going to talk about today? You know, it's a uh, topic of the moment, and uh, I thought these nails were worth commenting on, and it turned into a conflagration. I just picked the wrong person on the wrong day in the wrong place at the wrong time, and basically was misunderstood and misconstrued because it was uh, Capital Pride weekend in Ottawa. So emotions were running high, and they took something that I said was a fashion statement, and they ran with it. And I didn't know the person was a drag queen at all. Well, your Facebook post was pretty unvarnished. You wrote, he is asking for criticism by parading his choices in front of everyone. And you compared the fingernails to black men who wear their pants low and said they want you to notice it and get angered by it. Can you see that some people would find that offensive? Yes, I can see they could find it offensive. I mean, if I mentioned that uh, I saw somebody with a mohawk, uh, it would be the same exact situation where obviously someone has the mohawk. They wouldn't have it if they didn't want to be looked at and they want to be noticed. Why do they want to be noticed? Because of whatever need they might have to be noticed. But the danger here is that what I said was interpreted as some kind of anti-gay or homophobic statement, which... If you read the entire post, and if you read eight years of my history of posting on Facebook, you will not only find that I don't say anything anti-gay, but you'll find that I'm a staunch pro-gay, pro-marriage uh, person. and that You mean that, pro-same-sex marriage, just to be clear. Pro-same-sex marriage, pro-gay rights, equality. I mean, I, I am uh, uh, left of left as far as my politics are concerned, and it doesn't fit. Uh, that I was a jerk and uh, s stupid for saying something about a person I didn't know and I, I insulted them as an individual, yes, I copped to that and I've apologized for it on two or three different levels. And none of your other posts ever got you into any kind of hot water, even though they never. were taking a strong stand? Yeah, never before. I guess this was, like I said, it was sort of a perfect storm. I picked the wrong... Look, I had somebody who was friended that I didn't know as well as I probably should have to. I had had brunch with him and some friends eight months ago, and he's a fellow singer, and he's the one who took umbrage with what I was saying because he actually knew the person that wow. I was commenting on. Some random person that I saw on a bus, he knew them. And then he's the one who 
exploded this off of Facebook and took a screenshot, and then it just kept multiplying and multiplying. So uh, it can happen, you know. If you if you toss a match in the wrong place, you can start a forest fire. It's just how it can happen. So what was your reaction when you found out that you had been fired over this? Uh, I was saddened because I have a very good working relationship uh, uh, with this company. Uh, this is about my eighth or ninth employment with them. I've been about 10 years I've been working with them. If you were to put yourself in the opera company's shoes, do you think they had to protect their reputation maybe? Yes, I think, like I said, again, wrong weekend, wrong group to get angry. They had to do something because it was Capital Pride weekend. And I don't have any malice towards them. I don't, I'm not angry with them. I'm not surprised because it's a political decision and, and he pulled the trigger. Um, but I just think if he would have waited about a couple days to see all the facts and to really make a, a studied decision that uh, it might have been different. You posted a very abject apology on your website, and also a gay friend of yours posted an endorsement of you there. Has that helped to mitigate this? I think so. I really did some soul-searching, and I hadn't really thought too much about the impact of the gay community on my life and my career, uh, which was substantial. And that's the thing that hurt me the most and really knocked me out for about a week. I was sort of a zombie for about a week because I've been influenced 80% of the people in my career who've brought me to the point where I've, I've debuted at the Metropolitan Opera and sung at Carnegie Hall and, and done all the things that I'm supposed to do to build a successful career has been because of the gay community, gay instructors and coaches and teachers. So I, I wrote that, you know, sincerely because I, I really I hadn't taken the time to reflect on it, and this caused me to do that. I was in the process of writing a book about my Facebook postings and my blog, and I'm, I'm actually including this uh, chapter of this into a book I'm writing called Flaming Liberal. Should be and, quite a book. <laughs> uh, and I even include a glossary of uh, LGBTQ uh, terminology in it. I've, I've really taken the time to try to understand the community better and to learn why this might have been uh, misconstrued and uh, run with. So what advice would you give to other musicians about managing their social media presence? Yeah, I'd say you really can't voice your knee-jerk reactions on social media. You really need to think about it because it lasts forever. It's like a ghost in the machine. It lives on, it stays on the web. Anybody who does a search can find it, and if you say stupid things that you, in retrospect, you really didn't mean or you should have thought about, you'll find it haunting you and dogging you for quite some time. So you should think twice before you post something like that. Well, thank you very much for your candor and for joining us. I'm so happy that you had me. Valerian Ruminski is a bass baritone. Valerian Ruminski's troubles came only months after a similar incident involving a Georgian soprano named Tamar Iveri. Opera companies in Australia and Belgium dropped her from productions because of a Facebook post in which she allegedly bashed gay rights protesters. But when it comes to social media, the news isn't all about missteps. Some musicians are extremely savvy in the way they use social media to promote their careers. Joining us now to talk about all of this are Anne Majette, classical music critic of the Washington Post, and Michelle Paul, a director of product development for Patron Technology. So what is your reaction to what happened with Valerian Ruminski? Anne? Well, not everybody uh, 
is probably well-equipped to be their own media advocate or social media advocate. Some people are very good at it. Others are not. And the sort of lure of a medium that puts your unvarnished self out there and the idea that your unvarnished self is what's going to lure fans to you, which is, after all, the whole promise and premise of social media, is perhaps a little too alluring to some people. Um, you may not want your stars quite as unvarnished as all that. Michelle? Even for people who use social media in their personal life on a regular basis and feel like they're really good at it, need to understand the difference between using social media as just a person with friends versus as a professional outlet for communicating with fans and other uh, in other aspects of your work. Um, I think that's partly what got in the way here is he was using social media in the way that he's accustomed to talking to as he said, a group of friends, however you define friends in the Facebook context, without really thinking about how much further beyond that circle what he said would end up reaching. Well, I, also I would add that it becomes extra complicated because Facebook is both of those things to many people. Um, and I also find that it becomes kind of self-selecting. I myself, as a journalist, am encouraged to use Facebook professionally and use it actively so. And um, when my son was born about three years ago, I at first thought that I would never, ever post anything personal or picture of him on Facebook. And as anybody who is my Facebook friend knows, that resolve lasted about 48 hours. And um, I post quite a lot about my son. Those are all, of course, my most popular posts. But in terms of the comments, the people who follow me professionally tend to comment on the professional posts. And then there's another set of people who tend to comment on my personal posts. And it's easy to forget and think that you're only being read by those people who comment. But the fact is that my number of friends are all out there and everybody can read both sets of posts. I also mentioned the soprano Tamara Ivery and her Facebook debacle. Is there a parallel between these two cases? From what I read about what she wrote, it was a little less ambiguous than what we just heard about. Definitely so I less would, ambiguous. I think that there's a bit of a difference there. I wouldn't necessarily draw too many parallels because it seems like what she posted was knowingly offensive to a large group of people on purpose. I, can, I can't imagine her trying to make the kind of apology that said, I was... I made a mistake. I wasn't thinking. Um, no, she said, my husband did it. It wasn't me. <laughs> which is not exactly an effective excuse. <laughs> the cat walked across the keyboard. Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> Just couldn't help myself. I think that's a good point. Now, I think one thing that goes into some of this is that there is an implicit pressure on Facebook, particularly for people who function in a semi-public sphere, to have opinions. That the idea that you go beyond just saying, oh, my cat is really cute, or whatever it is, or what I had for breakfast. I've written before about um, artists taking political stands or not taking political stands. Um, there was tremendous pressure on Anna Netrebko when Putin cracked down on homosexuality in Russia to take a public stand against this. And artists are really exploring how far this is appropriate and how far they want to do it. Some people go way out there and are very political and, you know, the side of right. Um, others are more hesitant and others will express opinions about something, say, the Metropolitan Opera's recent contract negotiations at least one singer weighed in and then found that her views were not universally accepted. And I think she was a little taken aback because she was used to getting a lot more Facebook love. And I don't think she had thought through what was going to happen if people disagreed with her. And this is a learning curve that a lot of people are going through in a very public way. 
And I think that last part is really the key. She hadn't really thought through what would happen if people disagreed with her. I think that's the piece that's actually really easy to change about this, too. The idea of deciding whether or not you're going to take political opinions or take controversial stances on things, I think, is less important than thinking through the potential consequences and having, even if it's just your own personal private plan in place for saying, okay, what will happen if people disagree with me on this topic? Well, given that everybody who posts is going for clicks and reactions, Michelle, how does a musician write things for social media that will get those reactions but that don't cross the line? Well, I don't want to underestimate the value of cat posts. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, you know, the, no. um, <laughs> I will I will be a fan of the cat gif till the internet ends. I think there's more to it than that. I mean, as much as possible, keeping it about the work is a way that you can't really go wrong. I don't think that there's anything wrong with deciding to share things about one's personal life. But if you have the full swath of everything that somebody's going to be posting on social media, if you're somebody, if you're a musician in this case, or uh, an arts organization, more of an institution, the majority of the posts that you make should probably be directly relevant to what it is that you do or what it is that your organization does. Taking that and being interesting with the way that you present it, certainly posting a lot of photos is always a really good way to go. Making sure that if you want people to actually do something and take an action. I see a lot of posts all the time where people are talking about, hey, I'll be performing at X tonight, or hey, we've got this concert going on tonight, and won't include a link to buy tickets to that thing. (laughs) So that's one of the biggest pieces of advice I always find myself giving people is make sure that people can take the action that you ultimately want them to take by making this post. But you also don't want it I, to sound too much, certainly. too markety, too corporate, too... Mm-hmm. See, this is my point, that I really think that if you end up just posting about what performances you're doing and what you're working on, you end up coming across like press releases. And <laughs> too many too many classical musicians, too many people are too sanitized on Facebook and on Twitter. And it has been pretty well demonstrated that the more colorful and the more real and the more genuine you are, the more followers you get precisely by allowing people allowing people to see that you're a real person. With classical artists, it's a little more like, oh, I'm going to have my publicist write this. I think the trend toward being less uptight and less careful in what one says is not a bad thing. I think that people are just um, a little bad at figuring out how to how to roll with it. What musicians do you think are particularly good at this? Well, if we take it in the direction, if we take it away from classical into pop music, I was actually going to recommend Taylor Swift as a person that people should check <laughs> out on Twitter or Instagram. It's actually pretty amazing. She posts pictures of her cats. She On Instagram, she actually replies to fans who ask her questions sometimes. Or on Twitter, she'll actually reply directly to fans. And this is, we're talking about one of the biggest pop artists in the world today who manages to come across as such a real person and so personable that she'll take the time to have those one-on-one relationships with people. And how about classical musicians? (laughs) There's a lot of opera singers who have been very active on social media. Um, Joyce DiDonato, that's partly a blog. Um, Deborah Voigt, Aprile Milo. Uh, Christine Gerke is a big Facebook uh, presence. Samuel Ramey is very active on Facebook, posting links to things. 
and I'm sure that listeners could chime in with 40 other examples of people I'm yeah. not thinking Anybody of. Anybody not Valentina. opera singers? <laughs> well, the opera singers are the ones that first come to my mind, but uh, Valentina Lizitza, of course, is a social media creature. I was going to um, ask as... about her because she's got a Twitter feed that is full of very volatile pro-Russian commentary mm-hmm. about the situation in Ukraine. And how is that affecting her career? Some of it in Russian, of course. <laughs> yes, some of it in Russian. But with Google Translate, anybody can figure <laughs> yeah. out what she's saying. I just started checking out her Twitter feed. I haven't followed it long enough. I Obviously, it hasn't hurt her yet. What it would take, I think, to hurt her, too, is the firestorm aspect of somebody who hadn't seen it before getting bent out of shape about a particular post mm-hmm. and um, you know, quoting it out of context. I'm not saying quoting it wrongly. I haven't read all the posts enough to know, you know, what to think of them. I think it can have a tremendous effect on her career. But I think in a case like that, where she's doing it in a very calculated en masse way, it's not like she's making one stray post about Russia and the Ukraine. She's making lots and lots and lots and lots of posts. She is deliberately taking a stand. And so I think she's less likely to be unguarded. Um, But because it seems so deliberate and so consistent, she's probably a little bit less likely to be fired over it. Maybe maybe less likely to be hired in the first place, depending on the situation. But I think you're right, Anne, about the firestorm aspect. It takes something that really blows up and goes viral to cause some of the really problematic situations. How many of these people are actually managing their own Facebook feeds, and how many of them do you think have PR firms that are doing You can tell the difference mm-hmm. in a second. You can totally tell the difference. The PR firms ones are so kind of fake and stilted, and I can't think of one exception to that. And um, people, it's interesting, people like Anna Netrebko, where the PR firm really tried to make it kind of personal, and she had video blogs and whatever, but ultimately it is a PR thing. I think to make these social media work for you, you have to genuinely be interested in it yourself. You have to have fun spending a couple hours on Facebook to be able to have a Facebook feed that's going to be useful to you. If you see it as a necessary evil or something that somebody else is going to manage, it becomes another animal and not necessarily useful. That said, um, Lauren Mazel had a quite active, clearly official feed, but there were enough kind of little tidbits in it that there was a sense that his hand was in it. And I think that, um, is it Long Long who occasionally posts himself and makes it clear when it's his post and when it's his publicist posting? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that keeps people going because you want the sort of nugget of the star actually appearing. The bit of Long Long peeping up over the... (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) The lid of the piano. (laughs) I was going to say from, from again, the organizational aspect the actual symphony or opera company and things like that. That's exactly the advice that I find myself giving to those people is find the person on staff who really loves Twitter. Find the person on staff who really loves Tumblr, for that matter. And if you want to be using that social media platform as a way of marketing or building relationships with your patrons or anything else, putting that person in charge, the one who already really feels comfortable on the platform, at this point where we're at now in 2014 is absolutely the way to go. Any final tips for musicians with itchy Twitter fingers? The tip for anybody on social media, just think about, do you want this to be public? Pretend that you're publishing it in the newspaper, you know? I mean, part of the appeal is that it can be private and unvarnished, but that's part of the risk, too. It is not private, and if it were private, you wouldn't be doing it because you don't want to just write it on your bulletin board and put it up on your wall. You want people to read it. So think about what effect it's going to have if your grandmother reads it, your employer reads it, and somebody with a whole different point of view reads it, and do you want to be answering questions about it in five years? 
um, we probably would all fail that criterion, but it's a good thing to keep in mind. Michelle? And then while you're at it, think about what you're actually trying to achieve with every post that you make. If you're posting in a professional context, what is the goal of the image that you're trying to create on these platforms? And how does everything that you post end up supporting that goal? I've been speaking with Washington Post classical music critic Anne Majet and patron technologies Michelle Paul, who is co-author of Breaking the Fifth Wall, Rethinking Arts Marketing for the 21st Century. Brian Weiss is our producer. I'm Naomi Lewin. Thanks for listening.